0: Father in heaven, we thank you for the wonderful day of spiritual blessings that we have received. We thank you because uh, we are able to gather together once again to study this very important lesson. We ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will be present with us. We ask that you will open our minds and our hearts to receive the lessons that you have for us. And above all, Lord, we ask that you will help us to catch a clearer glimpse of Jesus, our wonderful Savior, We thank you for the promise that when we come before your throne in faith, you answer our prayers. And so we come before your throne through the precious merits of our Lord and Savior Jesus, in whose name we ask these things. Amen. Right into our lesson. This lesson is related to what we studied last time. We'll go right through it the way we usually do. In this lesson, we will study the prophecy of the 70 weeks. This remarkable prophecy proves beyond any doubt that the Bible is true because events are predicted with absolute precision hundreds of years before they occurred. As the events of Daniel 9 begin, this is very important, Jerusalem was in ruins. Israel had been in captivity for 68 years. Babylon had just fallen to the Medes and Persians let's open our Bibles and study the fascinating story of Daniel chapter 9 now the first thing that we want to do is connect Daniel 9 with Daniel 8 and the first section of the lesson deals with this specific issue now you remember that when chapter 8 ended there's a very important word with which the chapter ends what is that word? I did not Amen. understand. The Hebrew word for understand is the word bin. Now let's go to question number one. At the conclusion of chapter eight we, fo- we found that Daniel got sick and did not understand the vision. What is the word for vision here? What part did he not understand? the marae did he understand most of the chazon yes, yes. the ma- the ram the male goat and the little horn had all been explained but the time element had remained unexplained is that clear in your mind yes. we studied daniel 8 last time and we noticed that everything ex- was explained except for the cleansing of the sanctuary and the time period because the angel told him that this was sealed it was for many days and left it at that now number two is very important at the beginning of chapter 10 we are told that Daniel understood the message and had understanding in the vision once once again the word understanding there is the word being and the word vision there is the word marae so did Daniel understand the marae in chapter 10 and verse 1. Now let's do a little bit of logical thinking here. If the last word of Daniel 8 is, I did not understand the moray, and the first verse of Daniel 10 says that Daniel had understanding in the moray, where must he have gained that understanding? it doesn't take a King Solomon to figure out that he must have gained that understanding in the chapter in between. Are you following me? Now notice question number three or number three in the lesson. It says in chapter nine the angel Gabriel actually told Daniel consider the matter and understand the marae. So what is the angel doing in Daniel chapter 9? He explains the moray. So putting it all together, at the end of chapter 8, Daniel says, I did not understand the moray. In Daniel 9, Gabriel comes and he says, I have been sent to help you understand the moray. And in chapter 10 and verse 1, Daniel says, I understood the moray. So in other words, there's something which is explained in Daniel chapter 9, which explains or gives an amplification to the time period that we find in chapter 8. Is that clear in your mind? Now let's go to our second section, Daniel's prayer. Something very important, folks. There is no vision in Daniel 9. Daniel 9 begins with a long prayer. There's no vision between the end of Daniel 8 and when the angel comes back and says, I have come to help you understand the marae. No vision. So in other words, if the angel is going to explain the marae, it can't be any marae in Daniel 9 because there is none. So which marae does the angel come back to explain? It has to be the marae of chapter 8 where the last vision is. Are you with me? Raise your hand if you're with me. Okay, it's been a long day. Hard to raise the arm. (laughs) Now let's go to chapter 9. As Daniel, or or second section, the prayer in Daniel 9. As Daniel 9 begins, the prophet is studying Jeremiah's prophecy of the what? Of the 70 years. And when he was studying this prophecy, he discovered that God had promised that Israel was going to be captive in Babylon for how many years? For 70 years. In other words, listen to this. The city, the sanctuary, and the people were going to be trampled upon and were going to remain desolate 70 years. Right? I don't know whether you read the word desolate is used in Jeremiah 25 many times. And it says, because of your abominations, your land is desolate. So in other words, the word desolate and abomination is crucial in uh, Jeremiah chapter 25. And so Daniel knows that his city, his sanctuary, and his people have been trampled by Babylon. And he knows that God has said that this trampling is going to last 70 years. And then God's people are going to go back to their land. But now Daniel starts thinking, he says, now wait a minute. If I remember correctly, about twelve years ago I received this vision, because there's twelve years between Daniel eight and Daniel nine. He says, I received this vision where God said that the sanctuary and the and the host or the people were going to be trampled two thousand three hundred years. Can you understand his confusion? Yes or no? Yes. See, Jeremiah says 70 years, but in the previous chapter, it says that the sanctuary and the people were going to be trampled for 2,300 years, and then the sanctuary would be restored or the sanctuary would be cleansed. And so Daniel says, now, wait a minute, what's going on here? Is it 70 years or is it 2,300 years? And he's really dejected when he thinks that his city and his sanctuary are going to be desolate for 2,300 years. Believe me, he wouldn't have been worried at all if the 2,300 days were literal days because that would have only meant six and a half years. He could have handled that. But he couldn't handle the idea of his city and his sanctuary being trampled upon for 2,300 years. Now notice number two. God had promised that Israel would be taken captive to where? To Babylon and would remain there for 70 years. Number three. Daniel poured out his heart in prayer to God. One of the most fantastic prayers in the whole Bible is found in Daniel 9. He confessed his sins and the sins of his people. And he pled that God would turn away his what? His anger from his city, Jerusalem. Now, why do you suppose Daniel is studying the prophecy of the 70 years? Why is he studying that? Babylon has just fallen. 68 years of captivity are finished because Daniel went uh, in the year 605. When the 70 years began, Daniel was taken to Babylon. So he knows that 68 years have passed. He knows there's only two more years to go. And so he says, I want to study Jeremiah's prophecy to make sure that I understand what it says. But in the back of his mind is what time period? The 2,300 years. He can't reconcile Jeremiah, the 70 years of Jeremiah, with the 2,300 years. And so what occurs to his mind, he says, Oh, it must be that our sins are so terrible that God has decided to prolong the period of desolation. And that is reflected in number four. In verse 19... Daniel prayed to God. This is at the very climax of his prayer, incidentally, before the angel comes to explain the marae. He says, do not what? Delay. delay. This word is translated in the, in the Old Testament, procrastinate. Do not hold back. <laughs> it basically means, don't delay in fulfilling what you have said that you would fulfill. And so he says... Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Now let's read the note to make sure you understand what's going on here. Daniel feared that because of Israel's sins, the 70-year captivity was going to be extended to 2,300 years. This is the reason why Daniel got sick at the end of chapter 8. And it is also the reason why Daniel begged God not to delay the fulfillment of his promise. Daniel could not reconcile the trampling of the sanctuary for 2,300 years with the prophecy of Jeremiah that the sanctuary would be trampled for only 70 years. He did not realize that Jerusalem would be restored at the end of the 70 years only to be destroyed once again. Are you with me? In other words, what he had seen was another trampling of Jerusalem. Now, let's go to our next section, which deals with the answer to Daniel's prayer. After Daniel uttered his prayer, the same angel whom Daniel had seen in the vision at the beginning, which vision at the beginning? Which vision at the beginning? Is there any vision in chapter 9? No, No, there's just a what? A prayer. So it's the same angel of chapter 8 that he had seen when? At the beginning. beginning. In other words, the vision in Daniel chapter 8. And it says that he came back to give him the ability to what? To understand understand the? The marae. The angel must have returned to explain further the vision of Daniel 8 because in Daniel 9 there is no further vision. Is that clear in your mind? Is there a link between Daniel 8 and Daniel 9? Very clear. Absolutely clear in the text. No doubt whatsoever about it. Now number two. In Daniel 8 the vision began with the kingdom of Middle Persia. And in Daniel nine, the seventy weeks begin with the same kingdom. Now you have an extra page, I believe, that was given to you when you came tonight. Besides the, the page, uh, the pages of the lesson that we're answering tonight. Uh, did you get that extra page? It's uh, the title of it is remarks on the literary structure of Daniel nine twenty four to twenty seven. It might be on the back of one of the sheets. Do you have that one or not? No? Keep on looking. <laughs> no, that's not it. The ending of the 70 weeks is a different one. It looks like this. Can you find it? No. <coughs> Don't have it? It's on the back of the next page? It's on the back of Lesson 12. Oh, on the back of Lesson 12? Have mercy. (laughs) No wonder you couldn't find it. (laughs) Okay, anyway, you found it now, right? Okay, good. We're going to take a few moments to take a look at this literary structure at the top of the page. Because without this, you will never be able to understand uh, the 70 weeks. Because the 70 weeks are structured in a specific way, in a particular way. Now, let's just go through this. The prophecy of the 70 weeks appears to be, in a literary sense, a disorganized mumbo-jumbo. I felt that was good terminology, (laughs) good refined terminology that everybody can understand. Yet a careful study of the literary structure reveals a beautiful symmetry. Notice in the following chart that the description alternates between the city and the people on one hand and the Messiah, the prince, on the other. Now, I want you to to, to have this in your mind. That's why I wrote it on this slip of paper here. What it says in Daniel 9, 24, and let's go there just for a minute. Daniel chapter 9. Actually, let's go to Daniel 9, verse 25. And I'll show you how it goes back and forth. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25. It says here, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. Now, you notice at the top of the page is the introduction. The, the going forth of the word or of the command. That's where the 70 weeks begin. And the command is to what? Restore. To restore and build Jerusalem. That has to do with a city, doesn't it? Right. Now, notice what it continues saying from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until when? Do you see that on the other end of the column? Until Messiah the Prince, there shall be what? Seven weeks and 62 weeks. Now, I don't know whether you've ever wondered something. How much is um, seven weeks and 62 weeks 69 why didn't Daniel simply say 69 why did he say 7 and 62 the reason why is because the 7 weeks have to do with the rebuilding of the wall and the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem In other words, during those first seven weeks, which is 49 years, that the religion of Israel and the city of Israel and the Jewish theocracy, the laws and the sanctuary would be reestablished during those seven years. And then after 62 years more, Messiah the Prince would come. Are you with me? Let me repeat it. From the going forth of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks. The seven weeks have to do with the rebuilding of the city. We'll notice that in a minute. And three score in two weeks. In other words, from the time that the decree goes forth, there's going to be seven weeks that have to do with the rebuilding of the city and the religion of, of Jerusalem. And then 62 more leads you to the Messiah. And then notice, once again, the city and the temple. It says the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. The street and the wall of what? Of Jerusalem. That's taking place during which time period? During the seven weeks. Are you following me? And then it says, after three score and two weeks shall what? Shall Messiah be cut off. Are you with me? Yes or no? That's a weak yes. raise your hand if you're with me on this okay praise the Lord see what would happen if you read this in linear fashion you would know where you are you'd be totally lost because it goes back and forth see it says from the going forth of the word to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince There shall be seven weeks that have to do with the rebuilding of Jerusalem, and then 62 weeks. And then it says, during those seven weeks, the street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublous times. Then it says, after this 62 weeks, what? Messiah will be cut off. And then I want you to notice that it comes back to talk about the city. It says, the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy what? The city and the sanctuary and the, the end thereof shall be with the flood and then it goes to speak once again about whom? about Messiah the prince it says he that is the prince shall confirm the covenant with many for one week which week would that be? it has to be the 70th week is that the same moment that, that uh, the previous phrase takes you the three score and two weeks? does it go back to the place where the three score and two weeks end? Does that begin the 70th week? Yes, it does. And so it says, He, the prince, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And then the conclusion, he talks once again about the destruction of what? He talks about the destruction of the city. So notice, he begins by saying from the command to restore and build Jerusalem and he ends with the destruction of what? What? Of Jerusalem and in between he goes back and forth between the, the fate of the city and the people and the fate of the Messiah are you understanding me now with this in mind we'll be able to go through this next part of the lesson very easily let's go to our next section the beginning of the 70 weeks at this point we studied the chart the literary structure of the 70 weeks uh, by the way, do you remember that on opening night we said that one of the key principles to understanding prophecy is to understand the literary structure? Have you ever noticed, have you noticed the number of times that we've, uh, that we've dealt with that issue of the literary structure? Like Daniel 7 is divided into four parts. Remember we studied that? Daniel 8, we notice that Daniel 8 has the vision and then the interpretation of this. Here we're dealing with the literary structure. See, the reason why people get all goofed up is because they try to le- read these prophecies in linear fashion. And you can't read them in linear fashion because the Hebrew way of thinking goes in cycles, in repetitive cycles. Daniel 2 is repeated in Daniel 7, is repeated in Daniel 8 and 9, is repeated in Daniel 11 and 12. The churches are repeated in the seals and the seals are repeated in the trumpets. But if you think that you're going to start reading in Revelation 1.1 and you're going to read straight through to Revelation 22 and you think you're going to get a chronological sequence of events, oh, you're going to be totally messed up. You don't know where you're at. And that's the reason why so many people are messed up. Even great scholars and great pastors and great theologians are totally messed up because they have not taken seriously the literary structure of the passages that they're studying. It's of critical importance. Now, let's go quickly here. The 70 weeks were what? Were determined for whom? For Daniel's people and for his holy city. How much of the 2300 days was allotted for Daniel's people and Daniel's city? Who were Daniel's people? The Jews. And what was Daniel's city? Jerusalem. Were the 70 weeks for the literal Jews and literal Jerusalem? Yes. Yes now the note is very important the Hebrew word determined which is the Hebrew word shatak means cut off means to cut off in other words the 70 weeks were to be cut off from the longer period of the 2300 days, in fact the 70 weeks give you the beginning date for the 2300 days, it's the first portion that is cut off from the 2300 days, are you with me? now notice number 2 the beginning point of the 70 weeks is the what? Is the decree. That's a good translation. The decree to what? To restore and build Jerusalem. This decree was given in the what? In the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Now lest you're wondering whether this is the decree, it would be well to go to the book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 7, and even though the reference is in the lesson, I want to read this verse, Ezra chapter 7 and verse 13. By the way, the word decree here in Daniel is the Hebrew word dabar, where it says, from the going forth of the command, that's the Hebrew word dabar, and it's the same word that we're going to read in Ezra chapter 7. Interesting that it's the very same word. And this decree is given by Artaxerxes. Notice verse 13. Artaxerxes, let's read verse 12 for the context. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, a scribe of the law of the God of heaven, perfect priest, and so forth, I issue a, a, a dabar, a decree. And, of course, this decree is uttered in his seventh year, the seventh year of Artaxerxes, according to verse 7. Now, let me tell you that the seventh year of Artaxerxes is one of the most settled dates of ancient history. It's been studied and it's been determined without any shadow of doubt that the first year of Artaxerxes was 464 B.C., which means that the, the... seventh year of Artaxerxes would be in the fall of the year 457. That's important that it was in the fall of the year 457. So when do the 70 weeks begin? It's from the going forth of the word to restore and build Jerusalem. Who gave that decree? Artaxerxes. What date did he give that decree? 457. And the 70 weeks are the first portion of? The 2300 days. Wow. You folks are just sharp even though it's been a long day. Now, why do you suppose that Daniel began chapter 8 with Persia, with Medo-Persia instead of with Babylon? Now we'll know the reason why, the real reason. You see, traditionally people have said, well, you know, Babylon was about to fall when uh, Daniel was given chapter 8, and so because Babylon was about to fall, uh, Babylon isn't mentioned. The fact is that there were still 12 years before Babylon would fall. So that's not a satisfactory argument. Do you know the real reason why uh, the 70-week prophecy begins in the period of Persia and why Daniel 8 begins with Persia is precisely because the 70 weeks are to begin in the time of Persia. Now let me put this so that you can understand. The shazon begins with whom? With the ram, right? It continues with the goat. It continues with the little oar. It continues into the sanctuary as what? Cleansed. You remember all of this? All of this is the chazon, the vision. And this vision covers how long of a period? 2,300 days or years. Now here's my question. What would have happened if Daniel had begun with Babylon in Daniel chapter 8? he would have been giving the impression that the Chazon or the 2300 days would begin with which kingdom? during the period of Babylon I'll allow a moment for that to soak in you understanding? what if he had placed, let me me ask you do the 2300 days go from the ram to the cleansing of the sanctuary? yes, what would have happened if Daniel includes Babylon would that fall outside the 2300 days? yes so because the 2300 days begin with Medo-Persia Daniel begins the vision with Medo-Persia are you following me? that's the real reason why Babylon does not appear now let's go to our next section the anointing of the Messiah we already talked about the command to restore and build Jerusalem is that clear in your mind the command to restore and build Jerusalem? let's review what date? 457 name of the king? Artaxerxes. And this begins which prophecy? The 70 weeks and the 2300 days. Very good. Now let's go to our next section. It says, from the going forth of the word to restore and build Jerusalem until when? Until Messiah the Prince. Now, what is this Messiah the Prince? What does that mean? Well, let's go through number one through number six. Messiah the Prince was to come seven weeks and 62 weeks after the giving of the decree. By the way, let me ask you do the 70 weeks prove the year day principle? <coughs> you know, I really find it funny that some Christians say you, you say that 1260 days are not days but years, but then they'll turn right around and they say the 70 weeks aren't weeks, they're years. <laughs> Now, you have to be consistent. If you apply the year-day principle to the 70 weeks, you also have to apply it to the 2,300 days because the 70 weeks are a portion of the 2,300 days. Are you following me? Uh, you, You can't just pick and choose and say, I like this literal and I like that symbolic. Now, the Messiah the Prince was to come seven weeks and 62 weeks After the giving of the decree. This means that the Messiah would come 69 weeks after the giving of the decree. Is this clear in your mind? This would place us at the year, what? 27. Now, um, you say, no, it doesn't place us at 27. It places us at what? (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's figure it out. 457... To the year zero. Plus 27 gives us how long? Four eight 484. Now wait, wait a minute. How many weeks is 69 weeks? How many weeks is uh, 69 weeks? Well, let's do the arithmetic. 69 times 7 equals what? 7 times 9 is? 63. 7 times 6? 42 and 6? Okay, good. 483, 48. Does that look about right? Yeah? Everybody agreed on our math? Okay, now, here's the problem. You say, now, wait a minute. You said 457 years to the year zero plus 27 years after is when Messiah comes. Uh, That gives you 484. It doesn't give you 483. Well, the problem is very simple. You see, there's no year zero. See, you don't count one before Christ and one after Christ. Because between one before Christ and one after Christ, there is only what? One year. one year. But because there are two ones, it gives the impression that it's what? That it's two years. So you have to delete one of the years from 484. Are you following me? See, it's kind of complex, isn't it? You have to do math. See, I... To be honest with you, I never, learned, I never learned real well my sixes and my sevens. <laughs> my forte is theology, not math. But are you understanding my point? <laughs> See, if there's no such thing as one before Christ and one after Christ. In other words, that's not two years. It's one year from one before Christ to one after Christ. But however here you're counting 27 years the one after Christ and you're counting here the one before Christ. And there's actually only one year. And so you have to remove one of the years from 44 and you end up with what? 483 years. So in other words from the going forth of the word to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince there would be 69 weeks. Now 69 weeks Times seven days each week gives us 483 years. Now let's go, is that clear? Let's go to number two. Shortly after the baptism of Jesus, Andrew met his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. Messiah." Do you know what the word Messiah means? It means anointed. Anointed. Do you know what the equivalent Greek word is? You have a reference here in John one forty one, Christos. Christ. By the way, that's where we get the word christened from. What happens when somebody is christened? What does christening mean? It means baptized or anointed. Right? Whether it be with oil or with water. That word christened comes from Christos. Christ. So in other words... There would be 483 years between the giving of the decree and the coming of the anointed one. The Christ, the Messiah. Interesting, right after the baptism of Jesus, we find uh, Andrew saying, we have found the anointed one. We have found the Messiah. We have found the Christ. Now let's go to number three. When Jesus began His ministry shortly after His baptism, He said, the what? The time is fulfilled. What time? time? There's only one time prophecy in the whole Old Testament that says exactly when Christ was going to be baptized. And it's this one. When He was going to be anointed. So when Jesus says, the time is fulfilled, He had to be referring to the 70 week prophecy. And so He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus was making reference to the time in the prophecy of the 70 weeks. Did Jesus know that the 70 weeks were were about to be fulfilled or had begun to be fulfilled the last week? He most certainly did. Number four, the Holy what? The Holy Spirit fell upon Jesus when He was baptized. Don't forget that. (laughs) Shortly after His baptism, Jesus began his public ministry with the words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. When did the Spirit of the Lord come upon him? At his baptism. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. When was Jesus anointed? When he was baptized. Very clearly it says here. So what does the year 27 indicate? It's the date of Jesus as what? Baptism. Now my question is, what time of the year do you suppose Jesus was baptized? It had to be in the fall. Now, now, I want you to notice how precise this chronology is. It's amazing. Jesus must have been baptized in the fall because the decree was given in the fall. Fall of 457 to the fall of 27 It would have to be 483 complete years. Are you following me? Now you say, How do you know that he was baptized in the fall? Well, that's very, very simple to explain. Let me ask you, when did the Messiah die? According to the prophecy, he would be cut off when? In the middle of the week. Which week? In the middle of the 70th week. What time of the year was Jesus was Jesus crucified? At Passover time. And what time of the year is Passover? How many years had passed by that time of the ministry of Jesus? Three and a half. So all you have to do is go from the spring of the year 31 to the spring of the year 30 to the spring of the year 28 to the spring of the year 27 To the fall of the year 27. And you have what? Three and a half years. Are you with me? Or not? Amazing. If Jesus died in the spring at Passover. We know that for a fact. The Bible says that he died at Passover. And Passover is in the spring. That must mean that three and a half years earlier. Would take us to the what? To the fall of the year 27 look at fall of the year 27 to the fall of the year 28 how many years? to the fall of 29? two to the fall of 30? to the spring of 31? three and a half which means that the stoning of Stephen must have taken place at what season of the year? it must have taken place in the fall raise your hand if you're with me okay good outstanding wow number five in Acts 10, 37 and 38, we are explicitly told that Jesus was what? Amen. Was anointed with the Holy Spirit. In other words, he was anointed at the moment of his baptism because that's when he received the Holy Spirit. So in the year 27, Jesus was baptized. Now, number six, the baptism of Jesus took place in the what? In the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar now we know for a fact that Tiberius Caesar began to rule in the year 12 AD but Jesus was baptized in what what year of Tiberius Caesar's reign he was baptized in the 15th year so you add the year 12 15 years later leads you to what date it leads you to the year 27 A.D. In other words, Luke 3 verse 1 even gives us the specific date in harmony with the prophecy of Daniel chapter 9. Amazing. Isn't it? How did Daniel know this? Lucky guess. (laughs) I don't think so. How did he know that exactly after 483 years, after the decree was given to restore and build Jerusalem, Jesus would come to the river Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist. Unless God knows the end from the beginning, unless the Bible is absolutely true. Let's go to our next section. Don't forget to to hold this chart next to you. We're going to talk now about what? Well, we didn't talk about the seven weeks and the street being rebuilt again in the wall. You know, that deals with the seven weeks when Jerusalem was being rebuilt. But now we want to go to the Messiah being cut off. Notice the next section. Isaiah 53, verse 8, speaking of the Messiah, states, for he was what? Cut Cut off. Now, did you notice that in Daniel 9 it says that he would be cut off but not for himself? Did you all read that? That he would be cut off but not for himself? What does that indicate that he would be cut off? Die. The verb is passive. Somebody else is doing the cutting off. Yes? He would be cut off. Somebody else is cutting him off and he's being cut off not for himself but for somebody else. Now notice this amazing messianic prophecy of Isaiah 53. It says, For he was cut off from the land of the living. Why? For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. Was he cut off not for himself? Yes. Yes. He was wounded for what? According to Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. In other words, what Daniel 9 is saying is that the Messiah was going to be cut off by someone else. And his cutting off would not be for his benefit, but it would be for others. And Isaiah 53, verse 8, uses the very expression, cut off, and it says that it wasn't for him because he was wounded for our transgressions. Isn't this an amazing prophecy? Amazing. Number two. Isaiah fifty-three five states he was wounded for our, our transgressions; he was bruised for our, our iniquities. The chastisement of our. our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we. we are. Reason why they're wrong. It doesn't mean they're bad. It simply means that they're wrong because they don't study the literary structure. And if you're wrong on the 70 weeks, you're going to be wrong on a lot of other things, too. So we better have the 70 weeks straight. Now, notice Daniel 9, and let's read verse 26. The first part says, And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. Now, Protestant scholars they say, up till this point, Daniel is speaking of the Messiah. But then they say, that starting with the next phrase, this is speaking about a future prince who is going to be the Antichrist, and he's going to arise and sit in the Jerusalem temple the last seven years of the history of the world. In other words, what they do is they disconnect the first 69 weeks from week number 70. And they say that week number 70 was never fulfilled in sequence with the first 69. They say that there's a great parenthesis or a great gap between week sixty-nine and the beginning of the fulfillment of week number seventy. Now, if that's the case, you never can know where this week number seventy is going to begin. Yes. Do you
1: know what kind of rationale they used to come up with that method. No rationale,
0: because there's no biblical example of a time prophecy ever be, having been interrupted. But when do they
1: quote? I mean, I know that, but what do they quote?
0: Uh, Well, the the reason they give is because the Jerusalem temple is going to be rebuilt and the church is going to be raptured. (laughs) But there's no reason within the text. We need to understand that there's no reason that they give within the text. Now, I want to show you that really this uh, prince that is being mentioned here in verse 26 the last part of verse 26, is none other than the same same Messiah Prince of uh, the first part of verse 26. Now I want you to to see the symmetry here. Once again we have to deal with the literary structure. Now notice it says, from the going forth of the word to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah Prince. There's agreement among scholars that Messiah and Prince refer to the same person. There's no disagreement there. Messiah and Prince are the same person. I don't know of any scholar that says that Messiah and Prince are different individuals in that phrase until Messiah the Prince. But I want you to notice that in the following verses, there is a, a balancing to Messiah the Prince in verse 25. Go with me to verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, what? Messiah Messiah shall be cut off. Does it come back to the word Messiah? Which Messiah? The same one that was spoken of in the previous verse. Agreed? But now there's there's an unbalance in the literary structure. Yeah? What is missing in the literary structure in order for it to be balanced? You would have to have something about not only Messiah, but what? Prince. But Prince. And so notice, it continues saying in verse 26, And after, three, after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And then it says, And the people of the Prince, Prince who is to come. Is this balanced now? See, it says, until Messiah the prince, and then it speaks about Messiah, and it speaks about what? Prince. It's literally balanced, in other words. Now, with this in mind, let's answer the questions under this section, and, and it'll become clear that this prince is the same prince uh, of verse 25. Number one, the city and the sanctuary, because some people say it says that the who would destroy the city? the people of the prince now if this prince is the same as the messiah who would the prince be? the prince would be Jesus right? but it says the people of the prince would destroy the city who are the people of the prince? the Jews so did the Jews destroy the city? (laughs) let's
2: take a look at it
0: let's see what the bible says you say no the Jews didn't destroy the city yes they did they pronounced the sentence of the city by their choice. Now notice, don't miss this. The city and sanctuary were destroyed by the people of the prince who was to come. The key question is, who is the prince and who are the people of the prince? Perhaps the best answer is found in what happened at the first destruction of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar. Did you read these verses? The disaster of the destruction of Jerusalem was brought about by whom? According to Daniel 9 4, who did it? The Lord. 2 Chronicles 36 17 to 20 states that whom? King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem. Now we got a problem. Was it God or was it Nebuchadnezzar?
2: <laughs>
0: but the problem gets, becomes more complicated the prophet Jeremiah stated that Israel would what? Israel would cause this city to be burned with fire. Who destroyed Jerusalem the first time? Was it God? Was it Nebuchadnezzar? Or was it the Jews? (laughs) Yes. Okay. We're all three involved. but what precipitated God using Nebuchadnezzar the choice of the people that's why Hosea 13 verse 9 in the old King James translation says Israel thou hast destroyed thyself now we're going to notice a few more very interesting things here now let's go to our next page The prophet Jeremiah stated that Israel would what? Would cause this city to be burned with fire. Now notice, because of Israel's sins, God employed his servant Nebuchadnezzar to destroy Jerusalem. See how all three are involved there? If it had not been for the sins of Israel, the city would not have been destroyed. One thing is absolutely clear in Daniel 9, the cutting off of the Messiah leads to the destruction of Jerusalem. Do you agree with that? Let's read it again. Verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Does the destruction of the city and the sanctuary have anything to do with the cutting off of the Messiah?
2: Yes.
0: Yes? Yes. Obviously. Because the cutting off of Messiah, not for himself, is mentioned, and then it says that the city and the sanctuary would be what? destroyed. Now, number two. Christ's parable of the vineyard. Have you read that parable? Did you read it? Fascinating parable. There Jesus says that um, God planted a vineyard and he and he gave it to the care of his vine dressers. And he built a tower in it. The tower is the temple. And he put a wall around it. The wall is the law of God. And he gave it to the vine dressers and said, Take care of it, produce me some fruit. When God sent messengers to get the fruit, what did they do with them? They killed them. So what does God what did God do? Okay. Not okay. But I'll still be patient. And what did he do? He sent more messengers. By the way, here you have an illustration. From Mount Sinai to the Babylonian captivity God sent an abundance of messengers. They went captive to Babylon and after they came back from the captivity God sent them more messengers. And then what did they do with the second group of messengers? They killed them too. So what did what did the owner of the vineyard say? I'll send them my son. Who is that son? Jesus. They'll respect my son. But they said this is the heir. That's kill him. So they took him outside the vineyard. Jesus died outside the gate of Jerusalem. And what did they do? They killed him. And then we have the fourth stage. The wicked men who killed the son were what? were destroyed. What event is that? When was that? When did that happen? What event marked that? <clears throat> the destruction of what? Jerusalem. did the destruction of Jerusalem have anything to do with the rejecting of the Messiah in this parable? in Daniel chapter 9 did, uh, did the um, destruction of Jerusalem have anything to do with the cutting off of the Messiah? hmm I suppose that the best interpreter of Daniel 9 is Jesus wouldn't it? now notice and then we have a fifth stage. The kingdom is what? Taken away from the original vine dressers and given to a nation producing what? The fruits thereof. Let's read the note. The history of Israel had these five stages. After their election on Mount Sinai, Israel was sent many messengers, but their messengers, but the messengers were rejected. So God allowed Israel to go captive to Babylon. And if you read 2 Chronicles 35, 15, and 16, there it says that God sent them messengers and they stoned them. So God sent them captive, the very language that Jesus uses in the parable. After the Babylonian captivity, God sent them more messengers and they did the same with them. Finally, God sent his own son Jesus and they cut him off. As a result, Jerusalem was destroyed in the year 70 AD and the kingdom was removed from literal Israel and given to the Gentiles. Can we find that in the parable? Is that what we find in Daniel 9? No doubt whatsoever about it. Now let's continue here because it gets even more interesting. Number three. Immediately after being rejected by the Jewish leaders, Jesus left the temple and said, Your house is left unto you. Desolate. Don't forget that word. Don't forget that word. Your house is left unto you what? Desolate. Desolate. Did Daniel talk about the abomination of desolation anywhere? Hmm. Interesting. We'll come back to this. And when Jesus spoke about the destruction of what? And then Jesus spoke about the destruction of Jerusalem. So my question is, does the rejection of Christ and his leaving the Jerusalem temple have anything to do with the destruction of Jerusalem? Yes. Yes. And listen, folks, those who want to say that God still has a plan for the Jewish nation, even though they are still rejecting the Messiah, are reinstating what God has cut off. And they're making Israel the center of a prophecy whose center is Jesus. They say that this is the Antichrist, this prince. If that's the case, then the center of this prophecy is not Christ, but Antichrist. That's serious business. Now, by the way, what did Jesus call the temple when he went into it? My Father's house. My father's house. And it says he went into the temple of God. When he leaves, he says, your house is left unto you desolate. And then he talks about this Jerusalem being destroyed. It gets even more interesting number four in Luke 19 41 to 44 Jesus explained to the Jews that their city would be destroyed because they did not know the hour of their who was the visitor Jesus in other words they rejected the Messiah and this led to the destruction of their city and nation is that the exact picture we find in Daniel 9 according to Jesus who destroyed the city of Jerusalem by rejecting him, they brought this brought destruction upon themselves. Now, notice number five, in the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew 22, when the Jews slighted the Son, and the messengers that were sent to them, the what? Kingdom. The King. Symbol of whom? God the Father sent his armies, what are those armies? The Romans to destroy those murderers. murderers. And who are those murderers? The Jewish, the Jewish nation. And I don't know whether you noticed. Uh, yes, Gene? I'm just going to
1: go back to number four. Sure. Um, we, have the, we have the ability to look back down history. Sure. What you things then. But the Jews at that time there were at least three different commands to restore and build Jerusalem. There may be more. We can now plug them in and see where they fit. But the Jews at that time didn't have that complete picture. So uh, how were they to determine the time of their visitation, not knowing which one of these commands? Because that's an obvious question. Which command are we talking about?
0: Because of the life. And the ministry and the teachings of Jesus. Because of of the life and the ministry and the teachings of Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, the, the Holy Spirit was seen descending upon him like a dove. Jesus cast out demons. He raised dead people. They knew that he had been baptized. They knew that he had been anointed. And yet they rejected him. His whole ministry indicated that he was the Messiah. Now the, How would they
1: know when he was, come, he was to
0: come? Because they knew when the command to restore and build Jerusalem was given. They knew that Artaxerxes had given that decree. But there
1: were
0: yes. Like, you know, here, here. That's true. But none of the other decrees fit the characteristics of restoring and building Jerusalem. What I recommend, I was going to put the four different possibilities in the lesson. But unfortunately, uh, if I had done that, that would have taken a whole other lesson. There are four dates that have been suggested as possible, being that it's brought up. I'll just mention them. One is the year 536 when Cyrus gave the decree for the Jews to go back. But if you read that decree, he only gave permission to rebuild the temple. He did not give permission to do anything else. That decree was renewed by Darius I in the year 520. Because the Jews had gone back, they laid the foundations of the temple, they had oppositions from the Samaritans, and so uh, they just basically gave up the building, and uh, in the year 520, Darius I renewed the decree that Cyrus had given for them to get down to business and build the temple. Then there's the third decree, which is the one by Artaxerxes, and then finally there's a fourth decree, which which isn't really a decree, it's permission that was given to Nehemiah to go back and rebuild the wall. That was given in the year 444 B.C. But the the, one in 536 and 520 only gave permission to build the temple. The decree says to restore and build Jerusalem. And unfortunately I don't have time to talk to you about restore, what restore and build means. Each of those words is powerful. In that material on Daniel 9, if you want to get a copy of it, there's 40 pages, I deal extensively with what restore and build means. It's not talking about building walls and building streets. It's talking about restoring the Hebrew theocracy so that they could govern themselves, so that they could set up magistrates and judges and their civil order. And only the decree of Artaxerxes fits the specifications uh, to begin the 70 weeks. There is no other. And if you really are interested in this, uh, you can get the material. Uh, Some of you have uh, have come to prayer meeting, and we dealt extensively with this. Uh, You can understand my frustration. Uh, In the last three years, we've been studying the book of Daniel here. I have 73 tapes so far on Daniel, and we're trying to just cover everything as quickly as we can. But uh, I would recommend that you get that material, if you're really interested in the different decrees. But the Jews would have known which decree was the one that authorized them to reestablish the theocracy. In other words, their civil and religious order in its totality. Is that to answer the question? Without having to go in and prove everything? Because if I do, we'll be here till night.
1: Although you did mention one of the commandments
0: Yeah, but the problem is the translation wall is an improper translation. But see, the thing you should recommend coming to prayer meeting. (laughs) (laughs) So this is an indictment against you. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding, Gene. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I love Gene, you know, we get along fine. Just tease each other. Okay, where were we? Before I was so rudely interrupted.
2: No. (laughs) Okay.
0: That's a good question, because some people might bring that up. And by the way, most uh, uh, Protestant scholars today take the, the permission that was given to Nehemiah to rebuild the wall as the beginning date. But when they do that, see, when they do that, it's impossible to fit it with Christ, because... Uh, Christ was not crucified beyond the year 31. And if you begin it, see, see, just the basic imperial, uh, empirical mathematics show that you cannot begin at 444. Because if you begin at 444, that's going to take you beyond the year 40. And no scholar in the world will ever say that Jesus was, uh, was baptized and crucified beyond the year 40 in the Christian era. era. Impossible. It just doesn't fit the chronology. And 536 less. 536 if you begin there, you're still in the Old Testament period. So the only one that fits is 457. Okay. Let's go to the prince that shall come. And uh, wow, we're really behind. Do you want to finish? Okay. (laughs) The prince that shall come. Who is this prince that shall come? The expression that shall come. The prince that shall come. Well, we notice that the cutting off, not for himself, is given in a messianic prophecy, right? We notice that his anointing is given in a messianic prophecy. So is it possible that there's a messianic prophecy that speaks of what, what about blessed is he who comes? Hmm. Notice the messianic prophecy of Psalm 118, 26 states blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and by the way this person there's no doubt it's Jesus because this person is identified as the stone that the builders rejected in the same psalm. who is the stone that the builders rejected Jesus so this is a messianic prophecy so who is the one who was to come Jesus the Messiah not some antichrist notice how amazingly this was fulfilled this prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus when he triumphantly entered triumphantly entered Jerusalem the multitude sang blessed is the king who what who comes in the name of the Lord there you have it it is significant that Luke 19 39 to 44 follows the same basic order as Daniel nine twenty six. First, there is a prince who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus then speaks of his rejection by the Jewish nation. And then finally, Jesus speaks of the destruction of Jerusalem. Is that the very sequence we find in Daniel 9? Yes. Absolutely. So must we, must, must we be expecting some future Antichrist prince to fulfill this prophecy? No, there's no reason to disconnect the last week from the previous 69 weeks. Now, let's go to the next section, confirming the covenant. It says in verse 27, Then he shall confirm a covenant. Who is this he there? Is it the same prince? It's got to be. There's no other he in the previous verse. So it has to be the prince who is to come, right? So it says, Then he, that is the prince, shall confirm actually it says in the Hebrew the covenant he shall confirm the covenant do you know how this is interpreted by most protestant uh, 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 commentators today they say that this covenant is a covenant that the antichrist is going to make with the Jews but you know what every single time that the word covenant is used in the book of Daniel it refers to God's covenant Every single time. And I can give you the references. Daniel 9.4. Daniel prays that we've disobeyed. We've broken your covenant. Daniel 11.22. Speaks of the prince of the covenant. Who is the prince of the covenant? Jesus. You can also write verse 28 and verse 30. The covenant in Daniel is always God's covenant. It is never a secular covenant between two countries. So it's wrong within the context of Daniel to say that this is all of a sudden the prince is a different prince than Messiah the prince, and that he who comes is not the same he who comes from Psalm 118, and that this covenant is a secular covenant between the Antichrist and Israel. That's injecting something that is totally alien from Daniel 9. Now notice, the prince confirmed the what? The covenant with, with what? What's the word there? Don't forget that word. With many for one week. Which week? Number 70. And the prince brought to an end, what? The sacrifice and the offering. Number two. Every time the word covenant is used in the book of Daniel, it refers to God's covenant with his people it is never used to refer to a secular covenant when Jesus was about to die he said this is my blood of the what of the new covenant which is shed for see that word you have covenant and many just like in Daniel which is shed for many for the what For the remission of sins. Notice the two key words here: covenant and many. It was the death of Jesus which made strong the covenant for many. Number three, Isaiah fifty-three in verse eleven tells us the following: by his knowledge, this is a messianic prophecy. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify what? Many, and he shall. bear Bear their iniquity notice he does this for many just like the covenant is confirmed with what many in Daniel 9 also Mark 10 45 Jesus stated that he came to give his life a ransom for many many. Hebrews 9 28 states that Christ was offered once to Bear. bear the sins of many now, if you don't think the word many refers to the death of Christ, you've got problems. Because I just read several texts where what Jesus did, he did for many. And, because many is, is simply a way of speaking about a lot of people. In other words, it doesn't say many, but not for the rest. Many, in, in the way of speaking, in Greek and in Hebrew, means for a lot of people. Okay, it's not excluding anybody. Yes, Bonnie? Is it like bear as in big
2: brown bear? No. no,
0: as in carrying. As in
2: naked.
0: No, like bearing a burden. B-E-A-R. B-E-A-R. Yes, not B-A-R-E, <laughs> nor B-E-A-R. Is this clear? Yes? yes? Are we letting the Bible explain itself? Yes now let's go to causing the sacrifice and offering to cease the prince would cause by the way is this the same prince that does it yes. That's us notice again verse 27 top of verse 27 then he shall confirm a covenant who's the he there prince. the prince of the previous verse confirms the covenant with many for one week but in the middle of the week he shall bring who's the he there the prince is the prince doing all this is he confirming the covenant with many? Is he bringing the sacrifice and oblation to an end? Yes, he is. Now, what does this mean? Bringing the sacrifice and oblation, or, or offering, to an end. The cessation of the sacrifice and oblation came at the what? At the middle of the last week. Let me ask you, what happened three and a half years after Jesus was baptized? He died. He was cut off. He was crucified. Does it fit the chronology that he would make the offering to cease? Do you know how how most Protestant theologians interpret this today? They say that when this Antichrist this Antichrist person who is the prince according to them is going to sign this treaty with Israel and in the middle of the last and the sacrifices are going to be reestablished in the Jerusalem temple And in the middle of the week, this person who helped the Jews and made a covenant with the Jews reveals himself as the Antichrist and he's going to make the sacrifices in the Jerusalem temple to cease. Now listen, folks, that is a denial of the gospel of Jesus Christ because the one who made the offerings to cease is not the Antichrist, but who? Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross. Number three, When Jesus hung on the cross, he cried out, It is finished! And at that very moment, the veil of the sanctuary was ripped from top to bottom. Correct? What did that indicate? The veil being rent from top to bottom. The sanctuary system had what? Had come to an end. The sacrificial system from this point on would have no meaning. The real lamb had died in fulfillment of all Old Testament symbols. Number four, though it is true that the Jews resumed their sacrifices shortly thereafter, they were devoid of meaning because Hebrews 10 verse 18 tells us that where there is remission of these, that is sins and lawless deeds, there is no longer a what? An offering for sin. Jesus brought the sacrificial system to an end at least what it meant Jesus brought it to an end no longer did they need to sacrifice lambs because Jesus the Lamb of God had taken away the sin of the world and by the way when the Jews continued sacrificing lambs they were denying Christ so saying that in prophecy the Jews are going to start sacrificing animals again and this is in harmony with God's plan is a denial of Christ now let's go to our last section I'm sure glad that I gave you the material on the closing of the 70 weeks so that you could read it. How many of you read that extra, those extra pages on the ending date of the 70 weeks? Raise your hand. Let me see. I want to see. Oh, man. How, what happened to the rest of you? <laughs> see, now you're going to, you either go home and read it or else you're going to accept it by faith. I don't want you to accept anything by faith. That's why I give you the lessons before because I want you to study it and know it for yourself. What I say doesn't make any difference if it's not in harmony with the Bible. I want you to study it and know it for yourselves. But anyway, number one, by his death, the Messiah caused the sacrifice and oblation to what? To cease. But as we have seen, his death also led to the destruction of what? Now, do you notice that twice in Daniel 9 it's emphasized that what happens to the Messiah determines the destiny of the city? In verse 26, it says, Messiah will be cut up, and then it speaks about the destruction of what? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Then in verse 27, it says, he causes the sacrifice and oblation to cease, and then it talks again about what? About the destruction of Jerusalem. So let me ask you, does the fate of the Messiah determine the fate of the city? Yes. Yes. Twice this is emphasized in Daniel chapter 9. Now let's go to number 2. When Jesus left the Jerusalem temple, he said your house is left desolate he then spoke of the destruction of jerusalem in daniel 9:26 and 27 the, the prince is cut off he causes the sacrifice and offering to cease and as a result what desolate what, what 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 desolations were what now wait a minute what did Jesus say your house is left unto you what what does the prophecy of Daniel 9 say what is determined desolations. desolations are you with me and then of course it says and judgment would be poured out upon the what upon the desolate why was Jerusalem desolate at this point why was Jerusalem destroyed because Jesus says how many times I wanted to gather you under my wings you, you would not you didn 't want me therefore, your house is left what desolate. desolate, and let me just mention two verses in closing that are not in the lesson matthew twenty four verse fifteen in case you're wondering whether Daniel chapter 9 verses 26 and 27 is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem by Titus because the Jews rejected the Messiah the Jewish nation rejected the Messiah in Matthew 24 verse 15 Jesus says when you see the abomination of desolation which was spoken of by Daniel the prophet then you who are in Jerusalem or in Judea flee But you know what the parallel passage in Luke says? It says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, know that her destruction is near. So what event fulfills Daniel 9, 26 and 27? Is it some future attack against Jerusalem? Or were those desolations determined when Jesus said, your house is left unto you desolate? And Jesus spoke about the abomination of desolation which Luke, inter- Luke interprets as Jerusalem being destroyed. Is it a serious thing to reject the Messiah?
2: Yes.
0: Listen folks, if God destroyed Jerusalem because they rejected the Messiah, what makes you think that God restored them to the land of Israel in 1948 if they're still rejecting the Messiah? God does not fulfill his promises in disobedience. God fulfills his promises. He gathers his people in obedience, not in disobedience. Now I saw somebody's hand, and then I want to just make a couple of remarks about the ending date. Yes, Brad. I got to watch from Matthew. What was the first Luke? Luke 21, verse 20, the parallel passage. Now let me ask you this. Everything everything clear so far? Yes. Everybody who understood the lesson tonight, stand up. No, just kidding. <laughs> Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you understood what we talked about tonight. Is it clear? Does that make sense? Is it biblical? Do we allow the Bible to explain itself? Debbie. I just have one. I still need a little more on zero. like the zero. Oh, the year zero. See, you don't count. you, you would go to one before Christ, zero, one after Christ. But there is no year zero. It jumps from one before Christ to one after Christ. So there's really only one year even though you have one before Christ and one after Christ. You understand that point? Now let me mention just something in closing about the closing of the prophecy of the 70 weeks. What date would the 70 weeks come to an end? Well they must come to an end in the year 34. Now you say, now wait a minute, Pastor. Between 27 and 31, there's four years, and between 31 and 34, there's only three. Well, let's take a look at it. From the fall of 27 to the fall of 28, 1. To the fall of 29, 2. To the fall of 30, 3. To the spring of 31, 3.5. From the spring of 31 to the spring of of 32? To the spring of 33, 3. To the spring of 34? To the fall of 34? Three Now, will You've got to read the additional pages because we run out of time. Saved by the bell. <laughs> Listen, folks, I'm serious. You need to read those five additional pages that we put with the material. Because it would take me at least 15 or 20 minutes to go through the reasons why the stoning of Stephen marks the ending of the 70 weeks. There are abundant biblical reasons for that. In other words, when Stephen was stoned by the Jewish Sanhedrin, that marked the end of the 70 weeks and the gospel went to whom? To the Gentiles. Now, one final closing remark. If the 70 weeks are the first part of the 2300 days or 2300 years that must mean that we have to go how many years further ahead to come to the ending of the twenty-three hundred years?
2: One
0: thousand eight hundred and ten plus plus what? Plus
2: thirty-four
0: would lead us to what date? Eighteen forty-four. What eighteen forty-four? That's, that's when the sanctuary is going to be cleansed. It has to be. Doesn't it? If the 70 weeks begin in 457, which they do, and they're cut off from the 2300 days, that must mean that you have to go 2300 years from 457 forward. And if you do that, you reach the fall of 1844. That's when the cleansing of the sanctuary began in heaven. And I wish I had time to tell you about what happened on earth when that was taking place in heaven. There was this great revival in the United States and in many places of the world. It's known as the Millerite Revival where they preached the hour of his judgment has come. Just amazing story. You know, we have it all on tape. If you want to get a tape on that, it's fascinating. But we don't have time tonight. I just wanted you to see the date. Do you understand what we studied tonight? Pretty complex stuff. But I hope you understood it. Now, don't miss tomorrow night. Tomorrow night we're talking about the prophet Elijah. Will Elijah return? Before Jesus returns. Don't miss the next exciting episode. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the time we've been able to spend together this evening. We thank you because you have left in your word such a clear revelation of how you know the end from the beginning. How you choreographed every single event of the life of Christ. So that as we look upon these events we can be absolutely certain that Jesus was Messiah. But we realize, Lord, that just knowing all of these dates and time periods is not enough we must receive Jesus as our Savior. And not only as our Savior, but also the Lord of our life. Lord, I, uh, we know that because the Jewish nation rejected you, they were rejected as your chosen people, not as individuals, but as a nation. But the same thing that happened to them as a nation can happen to us individually if we should reject Jesus. I ask, Lord, that if there's anyone here tonight who has not made a commitment to Jesus, that at this very moment you will come into their hearts, that they might make a full and complete surrender to this wonderful Savior. We thank you, Lord, for having been with us. And we thank you for hearing and answering our prayer because we ask it in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a good night. This media was brought to you by Audioverse